Okay, we're live. This is it. We're live. I believe chat is enabled, etc. Um, if you guys can let me know, if you guys can let me know if uh, you can hear me, I'm sure you'll let me know anyway. Um, I'm just going to wait for this to catch up. I can't see how many people are following, so... Yeah, Steve Ridgway just popped up. Steve, if you can hear me, can you let me know? Or anyone else, just hit a little message down in the, the message. Just let me know that you can hear me. That'd be great if you guys could let me know that you can hear me. Thank you very much. Um, hopefully, you can. Um, that'd be good. Definitely. That's going to make this talk. Hi, Nick Valaris. Can you let me know if you can hear me on YouTube, please? Um, if you guys can hear me, it's going to make this talk much better awesome i'm glad you can hear me thank you lewis on youtube as well for letting me know that you can hear me i'm gonna give it sort of a five minutes or so well no not five minutes a minute or two you know let everyone else catch up there seems to be some people listening so i'll give it a minute maybe a minute or two and then we'll uh we'll catch up and we'll crack on um i hope everybody's good hope everybody's maintaining their sanity over the last five days if at any time you start to question your sanity, just remember that I've had to move back in with parents. So I'm living with my dad and my stepmom at the moment because I'm in the middle of buying a house. So uh, however bad things are for you, just remember I'm living with parents. Um, yeah, so I think about another 30 seconds or so and we'll crack on, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, just check all feeds are up and running all feeds are good i'm sorry that i have to have this placed on my lap like this i did have a secondary webcam um, but that secondary webcam has decided to stop working so i would have bought another one today had i checked lack of organization but it means i just have this on my lap but i'm guessing if it gets interactive and somebody asks a question i can look through and it allows me to to keep up with you guys i don't like single person video podcasts really i find them a bit self-indulgent um but these times mean we can't do it any other way. If anybody asks a really good question and I don't quite understand it, then I will get you to call me and I will put you live on speakerphone and we can address that question um, and we can go from there. That's the best way that I can think of doing these, this right now. So, um, yeah. Right then, okay, so let's go. Basically, I'll give you a, a slight overview of uh, what this podcast is about, why I'm doing it, etc. Um Obviously, the times that we're in right now are really special in that it's probably, it's never been seen before, whole countries on lockdown, you'd have to go back to maybe the war or something for, for something similar to these conditions. And in a modern society where everybody's so used to having their freedom and stuff, um, yeah, these are obviously really, uh, really strange times for everybody. And that seems to have incited quite a bit of fear among people. And... I have also, I've been working on a project for about a year to 18 months now where I wanted to have a look at fear within paragliding specifically because obviously it's now probably, now that I'm coming towards the end of my MMA career, paragliding is probably my main focus sports wise. So I've wanted to have a look at fear within paragliding because I've noticed that a lot of pilots, um, fear seems to hold them back. Um... Fear is very much a negative for them and it's preventing people who, when I watch them fly, 
they're very good pilots. I mean, it's not up to me to say people are a good or a bad pilot, but it's certainly up to me to say that guy's not a bad pilot, you know, and I can see that it's holding people back unnecessarily sometimes just because they're they're they have fear or they're scared of certain aspects. So <clears throat> I have been looking at it and I want to cover early on in this that I am not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not approaching this from a neuroscience uh, perspective. I will maybe mention the amygdala or the prefrontal cortex loosely. I won't address them in a scientific manner or I won't, I, I won't try and address cortisol too much. I will obviously mention it maybe, but I'm not a scientist. I don't want to try and portray myself as a scientist and I don't want to harbour on about stuff that I really shouldn't be talking about. This is basically um, my take on fear and how I see how I have seen fear both within myself as a professional athlete, a base jumper, skydiver, doorman, bailiff, moving gypsies, um, all aspects of my life. Also, how I've handled fear as a coach, managing people's fear, fighters' fear is a big part of being a coach, and uh, something that I've seen people neglect in other coaching is watching certain individuals and just just catching a, a an art their eye or just catching a certain movement it makes me think hang on i need to address something here we need to discuss a little something it might be on just before we walk to the cage it could be a week out from a fight but addressing fear is it has been a big part of my adult life as a coach as a sportsman and i have spent a lot of my time right back in early days to even dealing with psycho cybernetics in neuro-linguistic programming with books from maxwell maltz etc steve peters the chimp paradox which is a really famous book i've spent a lot of my career trying to figure out fear and the psychology aspect of professional sports and especially in professional sports such as fighting the reason fighting is quite unique is in a lot of sports the fear is the fear of maybe getting injured or the fear of getting hurt or the fear of failing um, is a, a small aspect in professional MMA getting hurt is an accepted part of our sport or at least it should be an accepted part of our sport one of the last things i say to anybody i i coach and walk to the cages and most people will will agree and can, uh, will attest is one of the last things i actually absolutely say is i say to people do not go out there expecting to get expecting not to get hit this is a fight you are going to get hit and you are going to get hurt but the moment you keep fighting it will be gone and it will pass. You will not be in a situation that you've never been in in your life. And I make sure that they're very aware of that. And I also explain to them that what will separate us from our opponent is we're not going out expecting to stop people quickly. We're not going out expecting to knock people out. We're going out fully expecting to have a hard fight that's going to test us. It's going to test our fears, going to test our abilities. We are going to get hurt. It's going to not be nice, whether that's someone trying to armbar on you and escape whether it's being elbowed in the face fighting's very much uh, and uh, being hurt is very much an aspect of fighting so addressing that fear aspect is a big part of fighting now from that aspect fear shouldn't be confused with nerves and i do want to look at that later on um the difference between fear and nerves etc because one of the other things i say just before we walk to the cage and i save it just before we walk to the cage because it's better for that to be the last thought is that nerves are good nerves are positive 
don't fear what's about to happen because fear will incite all different emotions that nerves will not nerves will keep us on our toes and highlight aspects that we can make very positive fear in this respect i have found will very much hold you back if you're going into an environment like a, an mma fight a boxing match fear can be very detrimental nerves on the other hand ne won't necessarily be they can be and generally it's because you've allowed fear to overtake the nerves um, so it's very important that we address both fear and nerves in that aspect um, the other real one for me was that I've seen a lot of people uh, talking about this scenario the coronavirus outbreak the covid outbreak and I've seen a lot of responses that are very much due to fear and they come in the form of I've seen quite a few people in this current situation they've said things like oh my god keeping me and my family safe the killer virus oh my god if i can't i don't imagine what i think if if i caught the virus and anything happened to me and this and and i thought to myself where is the fear coming from and then people say boris has said the killer virus etc and i think what people have, what people have done in this context is They've taken all the worst aspects or the worst diagnosis that you can have from this and they've assigned it to themselves and they've completely ignored the fundamentals and ignored the information that's actually been given to us and they've drawn out of it all the all the scary stuff and they've assigned it to themselves. Just today I've spoken to two people alone who who really had it in their head that if they get this virus they're going to die that, that's it it's going to be a high risk chance of oh, if i get the virus oh once you get the virus that's it and then they said boris johnson's got the virus and and it's just conflated fears it's what you've allowed happen to happen is all the negative aspects of information that you've received you've held on to and you've ignored all the other positives or you've actively sought out the negative aspects and you've clung on to them so yes this virus is killing people Yes, this virus is bad, but we are not locked in our houses because there's a killer virus that's going to kill us. That's not the aspect. Of, that's not the intention of us being on lockdown. And lots of people don't seem to have cottoned on to that. We're on lockdown to prevent the spread of the virus and overwhelming the services it would have to deal with it. Not through us dying, but through us spreading it to people who are vulnerable. And once you explain that to people and they start to ask questions, so... I shouldn't have to worry about dying. That should be right, right down the list of your priorities. If you have no underlying illnesses and if you have lots of, and I mean, I'm not talking, I have no information by what's given to me by the government, by scientists, etc. But going on their information, um, I would say you have very little to fear from this virus in the aspect of health and mortality, especially if you are, say, under 60 years old, you have no underlying illnesses. All the things that the government have told us that you already know, and I don't mean to sound patronising and harbour on about stuff that most of you know, but this is what led me to, to want to do this, is that people have clung on to that, and that allowed me to... It solidified for me that, that people are, are hanging on to certain aspects and they're creating their own fear. So that's why I thought I would uh, address this subject, and I will. it will be largely targeted around my sport, what I know, um, experiences I've had and 
That's the only aspect I can approach it. I would be more than happy for you, A, to pop up and ask questions or try and keep up with them. And B, if you would like to ask questions afterwards and we can go back over this in another podcast, that's completely fine as well. We've got nothing else to do, right? We're just killing time. Um, so yeah, let's talk fear, basically. Um, now, the first thing is we need to understand fear. Like, what is fear? And one of the first definitions you'll see in fear is that fear is an emotion induced by perceived danger or threat. Now, for me, when I first started looking at this, this is what really made me start to dissect fear and look look at it and, and how I could combat it. Was it that word perceived? The, the word perceived in that sentence is massively important because <clears throat> a perception is not something real. It's not something that's happening. It's not something that's happened. It's an interpretation or um, or a, a thought or a preemptive of what could happen. It's not actually what's happening. So lots of people with fear are getting fear, getting scared or experiencing fear, thinking about what could happen, scenario, they create scenarios, etc. So in that aspect, the fear comes from something that isn't real. It's absolutely 100% fictional. Your your fear is very much, I mean, many fears are, are irrational or illogical. There aren't many logical fears. Um, but people don't realise that most of their fears are created by themselves. And when I say most of them, we're talking 99.9% of all fears are created by, by us. <clears throat> it's said and was largely um, considered to be fact. So it's very hard to prove scientifically, but it's largely considered that this is the case, that humans are born with two fears and two fears alone. They are falling and loud noises. Now, even if we were to assume that that is correct and we take loud noises, I would 100% say loud noises are a fear that we're born with and one that stays with us over time. You only have to have a a gunshot or a firework go off behind you and you will jump uh someone drops a pan and you and you jump not necessarily through through um logic or because bad experiences if you've been to afghanistan or something then obviously there will be certain aspects of maybe ptsd or stuff that will obviously those that will incite those fears which is not up to me to address and i can't very well um but <clears throat> if you were to look at falling now falling may very well be a um, an innate fear from birth but also it's one that we grow out of rather quickly if if we were to take a child who's young who's scared of uh, who's got the fear of falling which may they they think possibly comes from being um apes evolution etc and uh being in trees or boreal and being at height and the mother holding you if we have the, those fears let's say what should happen is that as you get older and you develop the ability to walk, maintain balance and stay on your feet, excuse me, that fear should dissipate massively over time because falling should become a, a very, very small aspect of your life then because you are now in a, you now have an ability to prevent falling in every aspect of your life. So that fear should dissipate. But for many, the fear of falling seems to increase and unless you have had a big fall or a bad experience with falling 
any fear that comes from falling after a certain age or once you have full ability to maintain balance is created by yourself. Now, many people will say that they're scared of heights. And up until, I mean, I would say I'm still possibly scared of heights. Um, heights, heights was my biggest fear. And that's why I started base jumping and skydiving. It's not I was really scared of heights. I didn't like being at height. I was never comfortable being at height. Walking across the suspension bridge with the wobble I never used to like. But for me, the main problem was when I was at height, I always got urges to jump off. So I would be at the top of a tall building, like the Empire State Building, and I'd get near the edge and I'd feel like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump. I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm gonna, i got to get away. And I have to get away from the edge really quickly because there was an, an overwhelming urge for me to jump off the edge of the building or to jump off the edge of a bridge. And that, <clears throat> I took that to be fear. There's many different um, ideas that it's not, but I took that to be fear and it scared me. So I prevented myself from being at height. Now, that led to me skydiving because I was always the sort of person that when I'm scared of something, I want to overcome it. When, when something frightens me, I want to overcome it. Um, the only exception to that is little girl ghosts. And scary movies, really. I have no intention of getting over the fear of little girl ghosts. I'm petrified of little girl ghosts. And I will remain petrified of little girl ghosts. I'm also scared of little boy ghosts. But little girl ghosts specifically ter terrify me. And as many will confirm when I'm set in the cinema. If a scary movie trailer comes on. I'm usually watching through my fingers. I don't like scary movies. I don't like little girl ghosts. Um, but <clears throat> being at height really absolutely scared me. Uh, to the point that I didn't want to do it. So then I would sit there and think, oh, that's it, I'm going to skydive. That, that, I'm, I'm not letting this beat me. I'm not letting this fear beat me. I'm going to, I want to skydive. I'm going to jump from planes. And I had a fight booked and the fight got cancelled. And the day the fight got cancelled, I was sat in my gym and I booked a skydiving course. And I decided I was going to go to California and learn how to skydive. So I went to California and I can remember my first time up in the plane riding up in the plane the way that I felt and f for me it was it, there wasn't a fear like it's not a fear like what's going to happen am I going to die it's not is the fear wasn't that it was what if I can't do this what if the door opens and I, and I can't jump and that I that was something that I had to prove to myself I needed to I needed to jump out of this plane to prove to myself I can do this there's no there's no way this this is going to hold me back. Me worrying about something that isn't that hasn't happened or maybe won't happen. I'm going to prove that I can do this. So I went to California and started skydiving. Luckily, skydiving is a lot more fun than the fear was scary. So I continued to skydive and it progressed from there, really. So <clears throat> coming back from that, from those things, me looking at the, the fears that I had there, the the heights I started paragliding a few years later and I remember my first time ever on a tandem I went on a tandem and I didn't enjoy it for about 15 minutes I really didn't enjoy it I thought well I want to be on the ground I haven't really got any control and I got the urge to as soon as I got high I got the urge to, to want to jump out and not really be there it wasn't really fun for me I was just strapped onto something being floating around it wasn't and I landed and I immediately wanted to go up again and then as soon as I took off I was nervous again. I didn't really enjoy enjoy it. I didn't like it. And then I started ground handling it, working on solo paragliding. And once I was given the control and I could control it, I felt a lot better. 
But if you go back and review some of my early videos on my YouTube channels of me paragliding, you'll see I had a side-mounted camera here. And you can see my eyes are blinking a lot like this because paragliders move around and they twitch a lot. And it's just a piece of fabric that fills with pockets of air and it adjusts without you putting inputs in. It was twitching and I was always a little bit like, oh, I don't really, oh, it's not really, oh, oh, I'm not really enjoying this. And I would land and the second I landed, I couldn't wait to go back up. But I'd take off and I'd find myself again sort of, Oh, 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 I'm not sure if I'm really enjoying. Oh, no, I'm not really sure if I'm enjoying this. And that stuck with me for quite a while with my paragliding, until I could thermal. As soon as I could thermal, the world opened up for me because I could get into a thermal and I could climb, and then it became a competition, me against the elements to try and get as high as I could. And that took that fear aspect away from me. But what it didn't do is, it, what it did do is, it left me with a with an imprint inside of the fear of. Maybe the take, oh, is this going to be enjoyable? What if I didn't really enjoy this? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to... So <clears throat> I looked harder at what it was, what was actually going on. And from there, coupled with the other things, um, I, I tell you what I do here. I'll address a, a couple of other fears. I've spoken about fear into fighting, fear into skydiving, fear into paragliding. Now, over the years, I've worked a lot of jobs, bailiff jobs, um door job as a doorman a bouncer as a bodyguard some close protection stuff now as a bailiff i used to move gypsies a few of us would go and we'd move big groups of gypsies and we'd move them off the land and we'd have to get them to leave now lots of people would say well that's, isn't that really scary and it wasn't I, I can't remember ever being scared on a on a gypsy job ever um not because i think i'm tough and i'm harder and i'm surrounded by big tough guys it was not that there's none of that bravado but my years of working on the door as security allowed me to address my fear um, very differently in that scenario. So even now, I've, I've, I was a doorman for 18 years. My brother was a doorman for 15 years. Sometimes you, you go from 0 to 100 working as security on a nightclub. You're stood around, you're talking, the world is a great place. That quickly, it's violent and really violent sometimes. Sometimes aimed at yourself. Sometimes you'd run into the dance floor because you've got a call and you'd look and there'd be 20 guys fighting and there's only five doormen. But you have to respond. You have to do something. Your role is to ensure that everybody there is safe. So you have to act. Now, I've seen many doormen, many doormen over the years, freeze. That happens. They stand back. Everyone deals with something. You're watching the camera later and the guy does nothing. And show it. Um, I, I don't know. I froze. And it, it, that doesn't make you a pussy in my eyes. That's an, an aspect of not being able to control your fear. I understand that. Now, what helps a lot of people in that scenario is that you don't get time to think. So when it happens, you respond, you deal with it. Afterwards, you assess what could have happened. And that then becomes quite scary when you look at what could have happened. Now, other, other times on the door, what will happen is you'll get confronted. Maybe on the front door, maybe face to face, you'll refuse somebody. There's three, four, five guys. You say they can't come in. They start to square up to you. And before you know it, you're, you're engaged in a dialogue. You're, you're sort of drawn into this dialogue of one person's disgruntled, one person's angry, one person looks like they're going to get violent, etc. Um, and you have to deal with that. Now, it surprises me that even this 
late in my career, 18 years, fought professionally all over the world. I'm, I'm obviously not scared of violence. I try and avoid violence at all costs. Um, mainly, it costs me money if I injure myself outside of a cage. So I don't. I try not to be violent in my life if I can help it. But I'm not scared of it. But both my brother and I have had it where we've been confronted on the door. There's maybe three doormen, maybe six, seven, eight guys. It diffuses after, say, 20 minutes of arguments, verbal gesture, you know, like bigging up your chest, etc. And then my brother will lean in, he's like, Phew, my legs started to go a bit there. I'm like, yeah, mine too. And you get that leg shake, that, that little bit of nervous energy where your leg just starts to twitch. And you get that knotted ball in your stomach. <coughs> Excuse me. Get a knotted ball in your stomach. That sort of like, oh God, what oh, oh, if it kicks off in a minute? Oh, and you get that little, that, that tension. Now, that for me is not fear. What happens or how I address that is fear. I try and, I try and uh, take the two fear and being scared. I try and take them apart because it's very good to be scared. I, I think it's a good thing to be scared. But, excuse me, being scared is a, a momentary thing. So you're not, once you've been scared, you've been scared. You can't be scared, then be scared, then be scared, then be scared, then be scared. Because the, the thing that's scaring you would have to exponentially keep changing or getting worse in order for you to keep getting scared. Once you're scared, you're scared. Now, how you deal with being scared is the fear. This is where the fear creeps in. So, um, Nick, I have seen your post there. I'll come back and I'll, 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 I'll try and address that specifically to you shortly. I'll get my sister trying to deal with that specifically. Um, so, yeah, how I deal with being scared in that moment, for me, is fear. So, if I get that, that moment of being scared, whether that's um, when I'm paragliding and you get a collapse. For people who don't know, if you're paragliding, your wing can collapse sometimes. The air is not always fluid like like a, a running stream if you don't paraglide you, you should think is of air as a water approaching a waterfall so how it moves over a waterfall the air can act exactly like a liquid so that's how air is lots of time it can be quite laminar and flat and other times it's quite contorted and twisted so it can make your paraglider collapse and then your paraglider will do quite radical stuff unless you you fix it so that can happen. You can get a collapse in paragliding or a bad incident, which ha it lasts a second. That happens. It scares you. The, the moments after that being scared is fear. How you respond to that is then fear. MMA, fighting, boxing. Everyone here, whether you fight, train, etc., everyone here will have seen a fight, even at the highest level in UFC, where one guy punches another guy and he hurts him. And you can tell that all the fight's gone out. This guy's scared. He's scared of getting hit. The fear's got, he's got hit, he's got hit really hard, maybe it hurt, and he's got that thing where he's like, oh shit, what, cool, that really hurt, what, I don't want to get hit like that again. And the scared, that little bit of being scared, the fear can creep into them. And so many times I've seen in professional sports, professional MMA particularly, that happens and the guy goes into his shell and starts being defensive, trying to prevent the scary thing happening. But the scary thing already happened. So you're trying to prevent the thing that scared you happening, but it's already happened. You can't go back and change that. So now you're trying to prevent another scary thing happening whilst you're scared. That for me is fear. That's what I that's what I call fear. Now, <clears throat> I'll look at this and I'll give some scenarios 
of how that crops up. Now, base jumping. Base jumping is one of the most dangerous sports in the world. It is really stupid. I always say to people, if you can live your life without base jumping, don't base jump. It's a really stupid thing to do. Once you start base jumping, it's very hard to give up. Um, and it's a very, it's not a very rewarding thing to do. Um, if you would look at it from other sports, it's just rewarding to, to the person individually. Now, in base jumping, there are lots of ways that you can really injure yourself, obviously. Uh, one of them is you get an off heading. So if you jump a solid object like a building or a cliff, if your canopy opens facing the wrong way, you will be flying at the object. Now this happens randomly, lots of the time unexplained. Lots of people have tried to analyze why this happens, but it happens randomly and sometimes inexplicably. So when this happens, every time it's dangerous, really dangerous, separation from you and the object is probably let's say you've got a really good jump and you can get 12 feet away from the object you manage to jump 12 feet away from the object your canopy opens facing the wrong way and immediately flies at that that object you have to of course avoid the object and turn your canopy away so it's always dangerous but that the level of how dangerous that is obviously fluctuates and, cha and changes. I remember I had an off heading once and I landed, uh, I corrected it, I landed. It was on a building in San Diego and I landed and the guy goes to me, dude, you were so lucky. I can't, I can't, I thought you were done. I can't believe you missed that building. I said, well, I was miles away, mate. I wasn't, I wasn't even close really. He's like, honestly, you wait till you look at your footage. You were so close to that building. Now, I was very close to that building. If you consider that if my canopy would have opened the right way, I would have been nowhere near it. If you consider this is base jumping and when things go wrong, they go really wrong. I wasn't even close to the building. I probably got to within six to five feet of the building, which is close. Yeah, that's really close. But the sort of thing that's really dangerous and oh my God, this is, if I was, within a foot of the building i would have been that's you know I, that's to the point where I'm like, oh my god you were so close five to six feet of the building for me is the off heading was really scary it opened it faced the wrong way i have to deal with this boom my instinct to be a build deal with it boom it was a matter of a, a second probably less than a second it opens i steer away i really yank my canopy i get away for me it wasn't a big incident because that five feet for me is six feet maybe is massive the margin there is massive for me so where the guy on the on the floor looked at and he's like, oh i can't believe you were so close i was and it was a dangerous incident but in the grand scheme of things we're talking level two not level 10 and the way that i analyzed that was i still had loads of time to to react to what had happened so i processed the situation very differently to the guy viewing on the floor now, <clears throat> another thing, another uh, way that the reason I mentioned that another way that comes in is paragliding. Someone once said to me, when you have an incident in the air, a big collapse, etc., and it feels crazy and it feels wild. I think it may have been on the Gavin McClure podcast. When it feels crazy, when it feels wild, imagine what it looks like from the ground, because lots of times on the ground, people say like, oh, it didn't look that bad. And that's the same thing. It's perception. The perception of what could have happened will incite your fear. And they're both, I believe, really good examples of perception 
becoming your fear. Now, obviously, not everybody will have the same thing as me. And it's not, lots of people have said to me before, oh, you haven't got any adrenaline glands. You're crazy. You're you're nuts. You seek out this. And I don't like those adjectives, crazy, etc., because it implies that I'm not... Um, not sensible or I'm not assessing the situation properly which I feel is a discredit I'm not crazy um I'm not nuts my tolerance for fear is probably a little bit higher and that's only because I've managed it and been in a lot more scenarios or lived my life surrounding incidents with fear which which incite fear more than other people I'm not crazy I still get the same twitches People might be shocked to know that sometimes when I take off paragliding, I might not enjoy it for the first 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes I'm in the air thinking, I'm not really sure if I'm feeling this today. I'm not really sure. And then someone else will take off and get in a thermal and start climbing. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're not. You're not getting away. And I'm not. And I'm back in it. I'm on it. But I don't do loads of ridge soaring because I don't take off a lot of the time and I don't automatically love what I'm doing. I have those little bits where it's not enjoyable and, you know, possibly even a little bit scary. Something happens. Like, oh, God, this is not scary. It's going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to have to manage my manage that those fears a little bit for the first 15, 20 minutes. And I know it's going to be the weather. The wind might be off the hill. I might be flying in stronger wind than I'd like to. And I really have to manage that for 15, 20 minutes. You know, I really have to deal with it. Once I deal with that, I have something to focus on, like climbing out from the hill or getting away or somebody doing better than me that dissipates and I'm now focused on something else I'm not allowing those little nervous that nervousness or those little bits of being scared I'm not allowing them to incite fear so I've now concentrated on the other thing that is much more positive to me I want to climb as high as him or higher and I want to go as far as him or further so that overtakes me that helps me manage because I can forget those little elements that are trying desperately to incite fear and I can concentrate on the positive things that I'm looking to do and that's not even consciously anymore I don't consciously think right okay come on get my head out of this I see something and I react to that and that's it I'm focused on that now I understand and it'd be really patronizing for me to say you can do that 100% everyone here can um, if you're a paraglider pilot every single pilot who I know is capable of having the exact same level of fear management as I am. I've not done anything that you guys can't do. I've just looked at fear for a longer period over a broader aspect of, of things, I would assume. Um, so it's not that I'm different, I'm better in any, or any way, shape or form. I've just chosen to, to pick that aspect of the sport and focus on it for a longer period of time. I would imagine the most. I've had accidents in Paraglide and an accident at Westbury um, and it really bothered me, not from a fear point of view, that I'd done something wrong. The, the fear was gone. I flew the next day, but I thought I'd done something wrong. So I wanted to analyse what had happened. And that's the difference. Some people will analyse the fear, um, will, will stop analysing what went wrong and they will think this happened. Oh, this wing was bad. The weather was bad, etc. So the same with fighting. Um, from a fighting aspect, walking to the cage is always, it's never an exciting prospect. Let's put it that way. Two days before the fight, I'm really excited. I make weight, I'm really excited. When you actually have to walk from the changing room to the cage, it's very rarely an exciting um, prospect. That comes from working with fighters who have had 30 odd fights. 
I know fighters, I'm not going to name them, like I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but I know fighters, even now, they've said to me after 28 fights, 29 fights, I was thinking, cool, how nice it would be to trip over something and not have to do this fight on the way to the cage. I know fighters who are really famous, who are still sick every single time they fight. Had 25, 30 fights, they're still sick every single time. Because it's very seldom an exciting prospect to go and fight that person in the cage. Now, I know, and I have said to people, the moment the fight starts and the moment the first punch is thrown, all of that will dissipate. It still makes no difference. You still have to, you still are stuck in that moment where the emotional side will take over you on the walk to the cage. Dealing with that is the issue. You can freeze in those first moments or you can say, right, I know it's not going to be nice, but as soon as the fight starts and you can be quite logical which is the approach I try and take and I try and instill in other people. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, a little bit of science stuff then, okay? So we'll give a couple of scenarios, a little bit of science stuff around uh, fear and what fear is. Uh, just check on the YouTube, which is no... I am going to come back to you, Nick, I promise. Um, a, a couple of little uh, sciencey things, just so that we can just make sure we're on the same page. Everyone knows, I'm sure you do. How fear works, everybody should know. Fear is a... A survival mechanism a defense mechanism it's something that's installed in us from uh primitive times it's been with us for millions of years and it will continue to be with us for millions of years i'm absolutely sure um but that's because there's been a lack of fear management people have got scared or as animals were scared and there's very little fear management now we're getting to the point where through psychology we can manage fear um, what it does is fear attaches or um, fear incites emotion because it directly engages the amygdala which is uh, a part of your brain that controls emotion and once that is engaged it's very very difficult to then be logical so you have to practice that in order to uh, in order to address the emotion coming from the amygdala when the amygdala is engaged it releases a a substance called cortisol which then makes your body feel and act in a completely different way which now you have a very physical response to fear as opposed to a mental and logical response to fear which means that you're now addressing uh, a feeling and an actual chemical running through your body as opposed to just a thought a thought that you could have prevented you now have a chemical running through your body that you now have to manage whilst managing whatever is actually going wrong and at the same time, managing your logical approach, which is where it sort of snowballs and it gets in on people and you get trapped all because of these chemicals, the emotions. That's exactly what happens. It starts to snowball on people and you do actually get caught in that. You get caught in that split second moment. And what was a split second then becomes the rest of your experience until it's over. Um, and then obviously you have the prefrontal cortex, which is the part that then becomes the analytical aspect of fear of the incident and how you deal with the incident after is very much dealt with by the prefrontal cortex. So that is the aspect, that is the elements of fear, what make them and the biological parts. I am going to spend little to no more time thinking about them because i don't want to go over chemical substances i don't want to go over neuro neurological responses i want to try and just talk about things that, and processes that 
we can hopefully address. So I'm going to address Nick's question that he asked on YouTube. It might be two seconds. I haven't read it. I'm going to address that quickly. So Nick has said, for me, I still have fear holding me back since my accident in the strong stuff. I find myself fearing the really strong thermals. I climb then abort. How do I deal with this? Now, immediately, Nick's highlighted a perception. Nick has said, I fear holding me back since my accident in the strong stuff. Now, this is a perception because what what are you classing as the strong stuff, Nick? I mean, I've been in nine meter a second climbs that are really small and Pedro Bernardo, where everyone's trying to keep their outside tip inflated. We're talking paragliding. Bear with us if you don't paraglide, hopefully you'll catch up. And they were really strong, really bullety. And then you might have been in a five meter a second climb, which was big enough for three wings in, but you're usually used to two meters a second. I'm not, I know you've been in much more than that, Nick. I'm just trying to make a point. Um, you may be in a, a three or five meter a second climb, but because you're only used to flying the quite, the quite um, well established thermals in a certain area on a certain site, you don't, you, you're perceiving them as, as the, the strong stuff, you know? So that's very difficult is the perception there immediately as to what's the strong stuff. Um, it's the same as the other day, a video was released on YouTube, uh, sorry, on Facebook. It was a friend of mine and he posted a video of a collapse, a, a site that I fly quite regularly. I'm sure everybody's seen this video and they go into, they're going, they say about a collapse in the bumpy stuff. And I watched the video five, six, seven times over the last couple of days. Cause I, I knew I was going to quote it here and the firma wasn't that abrupt five meters a second it wasn't massively punchy how the pilot handled the wing was the reason they got the collapse once they got the collapse how what they did then after was they chose to go and land because it was quite bumpy and quite rough um, and then the second they are on the ground the first thing they make a comment to is their collapse and how rough and how bumpy it was so for me for watching that video what I noticed what I noticed immediately and what I took from that was that you had an incident that happened that I would consider quite quite minor and you've allowed that to stay with you long enough that it's forced you to go and land all the time you're going to land I suspect you were worried about landing under the conditions you went and you landed and as soon as you touched down you referenced the incident which from the outside looking in was rather benign it was not a serious incident at all now for me, what happened there was you got scared. Now, the same thing for you, Nick. I think this applies to you. What you're referencing to me is you're saying it's holding you back. You feel holding you back in really strong thermals. I climb and I abort. Well, this is the in, this is the, the interesting thing here. You're in the thermal. It's strong and it's um, it's a strong thermal. But you've put in there, I climb, then I then I abort. So the fact that you were already climbing, I'm assuming you're climbing without incident. So if you're climbing in a thermal that's strong without incident, what you're actually doing is you're not you're not it's you're not responding to something. You're now creating a fear. The fear is something you've now created. The the, the there hasn't been an incident to scare you. The, the force of the thermal might be scaring you, but, but you're creating those things. And it's important to understand that. It's important for, for you to understand that is that you are actually creating 
that fear. You're you're bringing that into that big thermal that you've you've been climbing in, so you know the thermal's good. It's coarse, you know. It might be wobbly. It might be a bit punchy. If you've had no collapse, if you're getting no collapses, you are then creating that. Now, this is going to be a management system for you. Um, you're going to have to deal with it a few ways. Now, this is how fear is managed, overcome. I don't know that it can be massively overcome. You will be able to deal deal with it. Um, but overcoming it, there are two real ways, basically. Um, immersion or exposure. You immerse yourself in it or you expose yourself to more of it. And then you have cognitive regulation or cognitive like um, training of of the of the fear. Now, immersion or exposure should be quite open and shut. Um, you you expose yourself to as much of the scenario as you can in a safe way. Now, I am not going to suggest anybody base jumper, skydiver, paraglider pilot go out and take as many risks as you can to alleviate fear. That's a ridiculous thing to do. What you have to do is you have to immerse yourself in these in these environments that are still safe, but where the fear starts to starts to sink in, you get a little moment of being scared. It may not be an incident. It sounds to me, Nick, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me like you're talking yourself into being scared. Um, what it sounds to me like is what, what you need to do from, from what I from what I'm hearing is you need to manage it immediately. You put yourself in those scenarios because I know you're not going to give up flying. I certainly hope you're not going to give up flying. It'd be a shame if you did. So you need to put yourself in these situations. And as soon as you're in them, the moment you recognize this is a little bit this is a little bit uncomfortable. The second you feel that, the moment you 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 can highlight that, you respond immediately with, but I'm dealing with it really well. I'm dealing with this. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, but if I stick with this, it won't be comfortable. Oh, it's a little bit bump here. I'm going to stick with this for a few hundred feet. If I, I'll climb through this, stick with it. I'm doing really well here. Nothing's happened. Okay, yeah, nice, okay. And another good way to do, good thing to do is distract yourself. Take yourself away. That's happening. Reference your clocks. Reference your information. Where is it I wanted to go? Stay in the thermal. Make sure you stay in the, don't try, try not to fall out of the thermal, etc. You know, make sure you're still piloting. Piloting is going to be really important in this scenario. Um, but reference something. Where am I flying to? Okay, yeah, no, I'm flying to, I don't know, Petersfield today. Or, okay, I'm flying to, oh, there's Mike over there. Radio, if you have a radio on you, it's a little bit, you know, I'm not, if you're getting collapses, don't radio, please. But, but you're you're definitely more experienced and you're well experienced enough to know that. But radio somebody. If, you, if you're getting a little bit uncomfortable, you can feel that creeping. Radio someone. Hi, Andrew, still with me on radio? Hi, Wes, you still with me on radio? I get a response back. That split second, if you hit it, the split second that you get that that anxious feeling, you will hopefully be enough that you will suppress the release of cortisol long enough that you manage to get through that little bit of fear. And if you can stop it in the split second, that might buy you 10 minutes. In those 10 minutes, you may now be a thousand feet higher than you were and that thermal's lovely and smooth. Or everyone's left and you're now on a glide and you're on a beautiful mellow glide to the next thermal you hit the next thermal and this is really important don't dread that next thermal don't create the fear don't create um don't be scared of the next thermal and don't create the problem before you get there you fly you concentrate on what you're doing okay this is good yep we're flying there oh there's 
Andy, there's Wes, there's so-and-so. Yeah, perfect. Oh, they're in a nice climb. I'll go and join them. Enter the thermal, expecting it to be a lovely thermal. You get in the thermal. It starts to give you a little twitch. The moment it starts to get you a little twitch. Yeah, but I dealt with the last one perfectly. I'll fly this. I'll fly this really well. I'm trying to dress it immediately as soon as it happens. Now, this is going to be a response that's going to take um, exposure and immersion. Now, I'm if you had a, an, uh, a fear of of drowning i wouldn't recommend you go and get waterboarded so it's the same with this if you have a, a an issue with flying i'm certainly not gonna recommend i'm not gonna suggest that you're gonna cure this in one hit and it's gonna be over it's gonna be over and a reason i know that um is i still now take off sometimes and i don't i'm not really enjoying it for a little while and it's not that I'm scared. There's no fear. I'm just not like, oh, oh this is going to be hard. Work. Oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. Oh, oh, blah. And I start, that negativity can start. Now, I'm a very positive person, so I don't let it. If you have those negative thoughts and you've had an incident, which obviously makes it worse, they're going to grow. They're going to multiply. And the way that I sum up this is the way that I describe fear. I'm bouncing about here. I've addressed Nick's. Hopefully, I've addressed it enough. And hopefully, hopefully he feels that i've he feels that i've got an understanding of what he means and it's something that he can come to me personally about and him and i can talk about it if he feels like i'm if he feels like i can help him or you know or if he feels that just sharing it with somebody who was who's willing to listen hopefully can nick will come to me or i'll come back to it later on um but what i like to do with fear is i label i i label fear i, I call it something because it is a something. Fear is a something. It's something that we create. Now, the way that um, what I liken fear to is, I like to say fear is a monster or like a, a big animal, like a bear. Let's say you were to live with a monster or you're going to live with a bear. There's a big grizzly bear that lives in your house with you, okay? Um, now, the the reason that, uh, the reason that the bear is there or, or the big monster, the reason that they're there is because you keep feeding this bear. You keep feeding this bear. So the fear is your bear. You keep feeding it. You keep giving it bits of meat. You keep giving it like, so you're like, oh, this bear, this bloody bear is there all the time. I've got to feed it. The reason you're feeding the bear is because you're worried about what will happen if you don't feed the bear. If I don't feed the bear, is the bear going to get me? So you're feeding the bear to prevent the bear getting you. Now, there's no, there's no signs that this bear that lives with you is trying to eat you. It's just in your house. Or the monster, it's just in your house. There's absolutely no signs that this monster or this bear is trying to get you. It just happens to be there. You've assumed it's going to get you, so you're feeding it to stop that happening. But the bear's only staying because you keep feeding it. And that's exactly like fear. Being scared is not something you're going to be able to control very well, Okay. An incident will happen and you will get scared in the split second. Whether that's an experienced pilot, paragliding and get big collapses. I know this because I've flown with many very good comp pilots. I've seen them have incidents and they're like, oh, flip now. They've flown the rest of the task brilliantly. They land like, oh, yeah, my heart went then. Oh, shit myself. Now, everyone, that's going to happen to everyone because that that response is natural. That's the inane inane response that we have and that response that we have from millennia that's that's in us what you're doing as soon as you make fit get fear involved is you're feeding the bear man you're feeding it something like i want that to go away so 
as soon as you address it, and you're like, oh god, that big collapse happened. Oh my god, what if another one happens? Um, what if it happens again and I, and I can't make the landing? What if it? So you're now feeding the bear. Conversely, if you are in an MMA fight, you get hit in the face really, really hard, and it hurts. You don't want to get hit really, really hard again in the face, and you think, oh my god, I have hit really hard. Oh, I don't want to get hit like that again. And you see this fighters start to fight then defensively. They start thinking, oh, I'm going to be really defensive. I'm not going to let him hit me. Well, the easiest person to hit in a fight is someone who's not hitting you back. Someone who has no intention on hitting me or hurting me is the easiest person for me to fight. You can be as defensive as you want. I guarantee you I will find a way to hurt you. So in you being defensive and trying to protect yourself from this fear that's got you, this thing that's hurt you, it's hurt me, it's hurt me, oh my God, protect myself. Cover up, protect myself, don't let anything get through. You're making yourself a lot more susceptible to being hurt again because you, you, there's no attack from you. So if you get hurt in a fight, you have to, obviously you might have to acknowledge it. It might be really painful, it might hurt, it might not be enjoyable. So you may have to acknowledge it. You, it may really hurt your eye, you might have to call out to protect my eye. But the best way to do that is to start to fight back. As soon as you come at me and you start to throw punches, if I hit you with a punch in the eye, you might now be scared. So now you're dealing with your fear because my punch hurt your eye. So now we're both back to a level playing field. Now because I've hurt you, I start to creep up and my fear starts to drop again. And we've leveled the playing field again. So the best thing to do is not be that defensive shell that, that goes back in and tries to cover everything and protect yourself from everything that's going to hurt you and protect yourself from every punch. You can't do it. You're making yourself more susceptible. What you have to do is you have to find a way to attack whilst maintaining enough defense to protect yourself. And this, in base jumping, etc., is done by immersion, practice, time, analysis. Now, a story I'm going to have with you for, for base jumping, um, and it's one that came up to me when I started base jumping, that, that presented itself to me. And we were in Idaho, and we went to jump a cliff in Idaho. There was about 15 of us, I'm going to say, and there was a guy who was leading us, Tom Aiello, very, very good guy, very good base jumper, base jumping coach. And we went to this cliff, it was quite windy. Now, anyone who knows air knows that you shouldn't really jump off cliffs when it's quite windy and it's really sunny because it's Idaho. You can't really predict how the wind's behaving in a valley. Now, we all went to the edge and he said, I really don't, I don't think you should jump. There's a lot of beginners here. I, like, I don't think the beginners, everyone on the, on the course shouldn't really jump. It's a bit unpredictable, but it's entirely up to you. What do you want to do? So, I went to the front with another guy. I looked at it. The wind started to come up in my face. I spat over the edge to see where the wind, where the spit went. I was looking. I was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I looked at my mate, Justin, and he's like, I'm jumping. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I'm jumping. He's like, you jumping? I was like, no, I'm not sure, mate. And I didn't jump. He jumped. Everything went fine. Next person jumped. Everything went fine. They landed. And so on. You going for it? I was like, no. We went back. We all got back to, together in a group and somebody said to me, Paul, I didn't think you'd get scared, mate. I was like, I wasn't scared. There was no, it wasn't fear. I, I, I didn't, I never allowed the fear to, to come into it. I didn't allow the fear to creep into that situation. What happened to me was I went to the edge and all the elements that would have created the fear, i.e. when I stood at the edge, I realised it doesn't feel right. 
like the wind's not really as it should and i'm not really sure if i should jump i'm not i don't know maybe i'm not experienced enough or but i'm not really sure if i should jump what would have happened in that scenario had i have put my base jumping rig on had i've put my helmet on had i've put my shin guards on the moment that would have happened i just started to get a little bit scared what happens if something goes wrong the second that happens, I now have to manage my fear in a situation where I already have to manage the elements that aren't quite perfect. So what I chose to do in that scenario was walk away. Because I knew the first part of the of the um, scenario was, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm just not quite sure. So I said, I'm going to prevent the fear side of it by walking away. And do you know what I did? The next day I went and jumped that cliff. Because I went, the conditions were right, it felt good, I put all my kit on. I was no more scared than I would be jumping off of any object. No, The fear never got into me. Got that bit where like, well, I guess we're going to do it then. Here we go then. Yeah, boom. Now I'm locked in. I'm focused. I'm not going to allow the fear to get hold of me now. I got that little bit. I've been scared for a second, so I'm going to jump off of a off of a um, cliff. But that, that fear's gone. I'm focused now. Okay, right. So canopy opens. I land. I make a left-hand turn. I land there. But I'm focused now. Had I have chosen to do it in that first instance... I have no, I, I, I really doubt that I would have been able to control the fear once I jumped. And that's before even anything may have gone wrong. It may have gone perfectly like the other two guys. But just because the other two guys went, that wasn't enough for me to look at the situation and say, no, it was, it was all right for them. It's going to be all right for me. I managed my fear before I allowed it to happen. So I prevented it. And uh, this is, this is the, the, this is the most important part for the people who are listening to this. It's the managing of your fear. And I'm going to keep reiterating that after everything. I After every sort of point that I make, I'm going to keep reiterating that. It's the managing of the fear. Because if you haven't clicked on by now, or if you haven't, uh, if this hasn't sunk in yet, you are responsible for your fear. You. It's not, it's not, people say fear is a natural reaction. Now, I mean, we can talk semantics and be pedantic, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say being scared is a natural reaction. Fear is the prolonging of that of that being scared. So that's the way that I look at it. Because otherwise, fear becomes too broad, and I can't. If if fear is a natural reaction, I can't control it. So let's let's just forget it, and we're always going to have fear. No, being scared is my natural reaction, and I'm playing literally with semantics of words here. Fear uh, being scared is my natural reaction. Fear is the process of me allowing it to spiral or, or the process of what happens next. Fear management, fear is all comes from that initial being scared. I hope that makes sense to people. And I hope that in saying that, I haven't alienated anyone. I accept that people say fear is a natural response. I just happen to say being scared or there's a scare response because when something happens like that, the initial thing is like, oh, scared. Well, that scared me. Oh, that scared me. So I like to say being scared is a natural uh, is natural fear is 100% down to you 100% how you manage it how you deal with it if it happens where it happens and when it happens all of those elements are down to you so we have to look and find ways for that work for ourselves to address those fears 
Troy Fry on Facebook has, has added something. I'm going to have a quick read, two seconds, and I'll see if it's anything that I think is worth addressing. It's just that these come in so fast, I can't I can't do them. As you know, I was in a bad car crash. Bad as in high speed and lots of damage to the car and rolling the car a few times. After coming out of hospital, I felt a fear to get in the car with my parents. Is this class as fear or being scared? And how can you get over this? Right. So... Again, we'll play with semantics here. Okay, we'll play with uh, we'll play with words a little. I know how bad your car accident was. You have uh, permanent injuries because of your car accident. Um, so I realise and accept how bad your car accident was. Now there are going to be elements of this and fear that are very psychological and quite possibly medically psychological. So I wouldn't dare try to tell someone how to get over PTSD. Uh, being in Iraq, being in Iran, even maybe being in this car in accident, I wouldn't dare tell someone how to recover from from those things. I will tell people how I manage fear. Now, for me, um, you said you felt fear to get into your parents' car. No, you didn't. You felt scared to get in somebody's car. So, again, semantics. You could say, well, yeah, no, that's what I meant. No, it, but it's really important for how I address fear. So you felt scared getting into somebody's car. Okay, I get it. What you what When you look at what it was that you were scared of, I'm scared of having another accident. That's fear, okay? That's fear. You're preempting what happens. The moment you're scared was the, the second it happened. The fear, was the, uh, the fear was looking at what could have happened. How many times did you get in a car and nothing happened previously? How many times did you get in a car um, and nothing happened since? Also... You have to look at the scenario in which you had a car accident. You were going, a high-speed car accident implies you were going way too fast. The person driving the car were they driving erratically. There are many factors that you have to, to factor in. And when you deal with, um, when you're trying to deal with fear uh, post-incident like this, it's very important that you analyse what happened. And when I say analyse, I mean, what you have to do is you have to analyze things in a way that you want to eliminate them the same way that i was talking about the guy who had the incident with the collapse of the wing which was nothing really he landed first thing he said was whoa did you see my collapse like immediately you've you've analyzed that as a negative thing immediately after i would land i'd be like quite a bit of a collapse i'm gonna have to have a look at that later on and that's how i would look at it for yourself with the car i guarantee you the one thing that got you over this was immersion and exposure we live in a world where you have to keep getting in cars. Your life would not have been able to move forward the way that it did if you didn't keep getting in cars. So I would say your example is a perfect example of immersion and exposure therapy. But also, I'm absolutely positive that you would have needed cognitive rehabilitation. So at some point, you would have had to... I, I don't know, Troy, maybe you can answer this just in the comments below... Did you see a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Did somebody help you with this? If so, did you talk over the incident? And did that, do you feel that helped you get over the incident? Because for me, I think in this scenario, I would opt for the cognitive um, rehabilitation before the exposure therapy because you have physical injuries. It's the same with people who, who have a paragliding accident. If you have a paragliding accident or a base jump, base jumping accident let's say if you have a base jumping accident it's very difficult to deal with the exposure or immersion therapy so what will happen is if you're out of the game i.e paragliding skydiving base jumping a car accident you get really injured in a fight if you're out of that game for 
six months. That six months of not being able to do exposure or immersion therapy is going to further um, further uh, solidify the, the fear and it's going to help you. Uh, it's going to it's going to help the fear creep in and you're going to continue to feed the fear. You're going to replay the incident in your head and it's going to make you shiver. You might have nightmares. You're going to all of those things are going to happen and you're going to continue to feed that bear all the time. And you're not addressing the cognitive or you are addressing the cognitive rehabilitation but in the negative. So it's very important that when we when we go when we have an accident and an accident that injures us, it's very important that the very first aspect is the cognitive rehabilitation or the fact that we address the scenario and we look at our mental approach, mental approach to how we address that. Because the immersion or the exposure therapy just, just isn't there. I mean, from other point, I've seen base jumpers, I've been on site where we've jumped and base jumpers snapped his leg and put his bone through his leg. I've had to carry him to my car. We've drove to the hospital. I've taken him to the hospital. He's had to have plates, pins, nine months in the hospital. Next day I went and jumped off of a build went and jumped off of a building. Not because I'm stupid or I don't care, but because the moment that happens, I've already addressed what went wrong. I went straight home, I watched the video footage, I know what he did wrong. Okay, I can see that. That's not going to impact on my jump. Nothing that happened in that jump, every everything that happened in that jump that in to injure him was a result of what he did so as soon as i know that i'm not going to allow that to influence my next jump or how i handle my next action it's not going to be influenced by the something that that person did so my cognitive rehabilitation from watching someone have a really bad accident started immediately and because of that i was able, I was able to address it quickly and get straight to the immersion or exposure therapy straight back the same with my my accident at westbury when i when my paraglider collapsed and i hit the hit floor I didn't have too much energy. I went to hospital. I had a bad back. My back hurt quite badly, but not enough that, you know, I had x-rays. I was completely fine, just like muscle twinges. So I went out the next day and I flew immediately because I know, I know from doing the research that I've done and the reading that I've done that as soon as you stop exposure, immersion therapy, the moment you stop it, you're immediately starting to dwindle back into the point where these fear responses come in. You're, where you where you're more inclined to get scared each day is one step closer or one step further away or one step backwards to where you were where you initially had fear and the longer you go the longer you take off the further away you're getting to from where you from the point that you were at and the, the closer you're getting back to the initial fear that you still had when you first undertook the process so as soon as it happened to me the next day it was important that i went and flew not because I was scared. I didn't think, oh God, I'm going to be scared. I just knew. I, I knew what would happen if I didn't fly. I know I could deal with the cognitive aspect of it, but I have to go fly now. The immersion side of it, I have to go fly and I have to prove myself. I went and flew and I did uh, an XC. I maybe flew for four hours. It was a, a big flight the next day. I know that. Anyway, I, I had a big flight the next day. And second I took off, I flew for 10, 15 minutes. I was completely fine, had no fear. But the cognitive side of it stayed with me for a long time analyzing it re-watching the video analyze it was it me was it me I even posted it on facebook does any can anybody see anything that i did wrong i think i did everything that i could and other people were saying to me no where you did everything that i can think of there so the cognitive rehabilitation for me was really important because the immersion happened immediately 
if you can't have that immersion therapy like yourself, Troy, like you said, you went to counselling for six weeks after you felt it made a massive difference. Now, the counselling, all the counselling did was give you tools. You then used those tools and you implemented them in your own cognitive rehabilitation, which then allowed you in the future to get into the car to work on the immersion therapy. And that's something that I think that people who have an accident um, or an incident in any of these scenarios... I, I think that that's really important is that you must sit down and you must say to yourself, oh, I've had this accident. I'm not going to be able to fly. I can't fly for, say, X amount of weeks. Oh, I can't ride my motorbike for X amount of months. I can't jump off a building for so-and-so. So I'll just forget about doing those things. No, it's very important that you focus immediately on the cognitive rehabilitation, whether that's a tiny little collapse up in the sky or whether that's a... You have a speed wobble at 100 miles an hour on your motorbike. You address the cognitive rehabilitation immediately, even whilst you're still in flight or still riding your motorbike. I recommend you don't ride your motorbike at 100 miles an hour. You slow back down and you address what happened. Um, with paragliding, let's say, if you have a big collapse, it's very important for me that I deal with the issue that went wrong immediately. I look the second it happens, and I've had some, had a massive, really big frontal at um, Peter Hita in a, during a comp uh, last season I was on full bar my Enzo completely front frontal on me I twisted it surged I caught the surge and I was facing a completely different way that I was heading in a thermal just just approached the thermal so there's lots of other pipes around me caught the surge boom turn out boom, look at my glider my glider's flying I have a second to go woohoo you have a look boom straight back I look at my task because that's the first thing I do is I try and put something else in my head immediately I looked at my task boom Looked at my task. Okay, right, yeah. We got 12 minutes to go to the start gate. Okay, I'm happy, I'm good. Boom. Cool, that was a radical collapse, but man, I was on that quick. That, I didn't let that get away from me, did I? Caught that immediately. And immediately, the cognitive rehabilitation started. I acknowledged what went wrong, and I acknowledged even more what I did, how I responded, how my response made the glider fly, how I wanted it to fly. And subsequently, the reason we're now still flying is not that I'm in a really safe glider that looked after me. The reason we're still flying is because of everything that I did. And that's really important for me is to recognise that this, this incident that was out of my control is something that I got completely under control, recognised, and I'm the reason that we are now back flying safely. If I'm doing, if I hit a speed wobble at 100 miles an hour, I use that for an example because I've been the dickhead who's been doing 100 miles an hour and hit a speed wobble. I hit the speed wobble, and immediately, you cannot let off the throttle. So I accelerate slightly. I get the speed wobble under control. I come back under. Immediately, my hands are shaking. I can feel them as I'm gripping my handlebars. My hands are shaking. I get my bike level back up. I come back, check my mirrors, make sure there's no cars like trying to overtake. Nothing. Everything's good. And immediately, I look. I'm, Check something, my speed, whatever it may be, to immediately take my mind off it. Boom, check my speed. Okay, I'm back down to 60 miles an hour. Okay, whew, man, you caught that one really well. You were almost gone there. Let's not put ourselves in that situation again. Immediately, I reinforced the positives that I did that meant that, 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 meant that I was the reason that it didn't escalate. And I think that's really important is the very first, don't wait till you land. Don't wait till you stop your motorbike. As soon as it happens, address it immediately. Nick, for you, if, if, you leave a, if you leave a thermal, because it's strong and powerful, as soon as you leave the thermal, for a split second, just look at something to take your mind off what's happened and then say, 
I left that, but I was doing quite well there. I was climbing quite well. Look, everyone else is still climbing. I can, I'm all right here. Put yourself back in. Put yourself back in and climb. Now, what's really important, especially with paragliding, and I'm, please recognise, I'm not saying this, you have to recognise that sometimes the conditions are bad and they're telling you, you shouldn't be here. You should not be flying here. You should not be doing this. You should move away. And it's very important that you understand that. But that is where you where you become a pilot. Fear should have no aspect to that. You should be able to, as a pilot, assess, actually, this is not really a good situation. Now, if there's six other pilots climbing in a thermal that's quite strong and you've just got the, the willies a little bit, that will be you and you have to find a way to manage that. And my advice is you find something to distract you immediately. Look at your clocks. Look at wherever you're going. And this is why I say to someone, always set a task. Whenever you take off of a hill, always set a task of where you want to go. We're back on the paragliding again, guys. I'm sorry. But always set a task. Okay. Because if I've got a task of 50 kilometers set in my... And always set a big task. If you've only ever flown 20 kilometers, every task from now on should be 50 kilometers. At least 50 kilometers. So... Set a 50 kilometer task because you're going to really want to fly that task. You get a little thing that happens, a little bit of nervous energy or twitch. You address it. You look at your clock. You say, I'm only 12k into this task here. I could. This looks like a day it could be on. My glider's flying okay. Okay, right, let's get back focus. They're all still climbing quite well. Okay, and find that thing that makes you... Nick, you've just said, I've started drinking water. Superb. Anything that takes your mind off of it. Um, I find instead of water, I like to have little electrolyte drinks, uh, like little electrolyte tablets that I put in my water for this reason. A, flavor will enhance a lot more, um, um, a lot more, the word I'm looking for is going to blow your mind that I've forgotten it. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, sense. Flavor will en enhance more senses, it will enhance more electrical responses than just plain water. So you get a bit of flavour going to your mouth. It will, it will ignite a lot more responses. It will give your brain so much more to, to activate and think about. You get those little bits of flavour that make the mind go crazy for a second. Also, it's got lots of salts and sugars and electrolytes. People will be shocked at how much you will lose sat on a hill getting sweaty or trying three or four takeoffs. So having a little electrolyte tablet in your drink makes a massive difference because A, your brain's focusing on something. As soon as you take a drink, like, ooh, that was quite nice. And also, you have the added extra of it's got salt, sugars, and electrolytes in there that will replace what you've lost. So I like to, that, I think it's a great distraction technique. Try it with something like an electrolyte drink, see if it helps. It may not help you, but try it. It might be something that, that helps you. Um, yeah, so a couple of people. Um, Tyler James has just said, what do you say about walking away from the cliff jump when the conditions didn't feel right? Not because of fear, but because of how fear could set in once you started setting up to do after you knew it wasn't right has made me realise that's where I went wrong in my last fight. I was genuinely worried that I hadn't sparred enough due to a niggly injury in the weeks leading up to it. I knew it wasn't right, did it anyway and let the fear set in because I knew I wasn't ready as I could have been and that affected how I started the fight. I rushed in and made a mistake. Perfect scenario for, for a few different reasons, uh, Tyler. A, your opponent may have been better than you. I've had fights and you can analyse them and your opponent may, may have been better than you. Okay, that can always happen. We can't ad address that. We can train and we can be the best that we can be. Okay, 
it comes down to the fact that at certain times in our career, we're going to face people who are better than us on that night. Okay, it happens. It's happened to me. People are just better than you at certain aspects. Okay, now the other aspect is we must in this scenario be as prepared as we can be because the only thing that we can be responsible for is ourselves. We can't say, oh, somebody said they saw our opponent. He was out drinking last Saturday. You mean Marvin out drinking last Saturday? That, that's overwhelming, Marvin. But Marvin training every day since, every day before. He might be doing four times the amount of sessions as you. We can't control what our opponent's doing. So we must ensure that we're doing everything we can do so that when we come to that fight, the negative aspects will never be, am I prepared? Have I done enough? Is it this? Now, as a fighter, you'll always have that. That, that will always happen. That's going to be up to your coach, um, whoever your coach was for your last fight. It's going to be up to your coach to know that you are ready, look at you. And I've done this with my fighters and uh, I'm sure they'll confirm. I've said, I'm pulling you from the fight, mate. You can't, you're just not ready yet. It's just not, there's going to be fights there for you. We're going to take it out. Things haven't gone right. The elements haven't been right for you. And that's up to someone else to step in because it's hard. As a fighter, you have to remain positive and assume that you can do your best. But... Like you say, that allowed that allowed that to become fear, and not fear like, like as in, you you feel it and you're scared. The fear was just a doubt, and that doubt then became I'm not doing enough. I can't quite perform the way I want before I step in here. I already know I'm on the back foot against this guy because I haven't done all that I can do, and that's the same with paragliding. I, I paragliding. I'll say I always tell people to do lots of SIV. The reason I say to do lots of SIV is not because it's going to make you a better pilot. I don't believe it does make you a better pilot. It just allows you to understand the scenario. So if you do get a big collapse, if anything does happen for a split second, you recognise what's happening. You have that initial thing of, oh, I recognise what's happened, but my glider's collapsed. And it just gives you a split second more to concentrate on the positive sides or focus on or you sort out the wing without even concentrating on that. And you're already focusing on the other aspects, which is why... The immersion therapy in that would be SIV for collapses in paragliding, etc. What it gives me, or what it gave me, is I like to feel the scenario that could happen whilst I'm on a flight. If I get big collapses, now I've had big collapses loads of times whilst doing simulated collapses over a lake, let's say. Base jumping, I used to go to a bridge in Idaho where everyone goes, the Perrine Bridge, and we would jump and we'd pack our parachutes the wrong way around tom aiello runs a great course um which teaches you how to pack your parachute the wrong way around you jump off the bridge and it opens backwards and immediately you get on your toggles or on your risers and you pull the the canopy the right way around you can't hurt yourself because it's a bridge so you just fly underneath it but if you were jumping off a building it turns the wrong, wrong way around immediately the response is there and you can act on it straight away so that's cognitive rehabilitation but preemptive so you, you're putting in all the measures there for what if this goes wrong. You're preparing yourself as best as you can. So your cognitive rehabilitation there starts. I know it's not because it's, it's preemptive, but that will play a big part in your cognitive rehabilitation because you've practiced the scenarios and you're a lot more familiar or comfortable when these things happened. And they give you that split second of reaction as opposed to that split second. Oh, shit, what's happening? And that split second will make the, the big difference. In paragliding, it could be a, an incident in the middle of the sky. You're on your own. It's not a big incident, but an incident. But the moment you get the, oh, shit, what's happening? 
boom, that's the fear. That's the fear. It's too late for you. The fear's got you now. You now have to go immediately on the attack and address it. Or, as people have done, they come, they look, they try and land. The worst thing there, go and land, go and land, go and land. Again, if it's a bad scenario, it's a bad situation, that may be the right thing to do. But, go and land, I go and land, I go and land. Instead of addressing in the air what went wrong. Um, Joe Hatton on Facebook has said, correct me if I'm wrong. So are you saying that the way we respond to the first fault that creates the fear is how that fault festers and spreads to our thinking? And over time, the fear gets worse and worse each time we near the experience. Kind of, but not. So what I'm saying is the, the, the initial thing that happens scares you. OK, no fear. Forget fear. It scares you. OK, the fear is that thing happening again. That's fear. Being scared or, or that thing scaring you is the initial thing that happens. Okay, that, that boom, that's scared. We create the fear because we're uh, preemptively scared of what might happen again. Or, or we're, we preemptively have fear of being scared again. So the initial thing that happens, boom, that's the scaring of us. How we handle that is then the fear. Now, how that festers and manifests is 100% you, okay? That's that's what that is. You cannot have an accident. The moment you have an accident, you fall down the stairs, you break your leg, you fall off a swing as a kid and bump your head, you meant a, a plethora of different scenarios. The moment it's over, that instant's over. It's over. It cannot get any worse. It cannot get any better. That instant's over. That is the initial thing. The festering or the way that it manifests itself thereafter is all created by you. We are 100% in control of our brains, okay? It post, post event, where the analysis, etc. is 100% up to us. Now, in re now, the worst thing that people can do here is say, no, I don't believe that, mate. No, because I'm not, I wasn't able, no, you're wrong. You're 100% wrong. The fear is you is how you have analyzed what has happened okay that's not it's not me it's not me saying it this is from books that i've read psychologists i could name i could list off a load of really good books that you should read um, which i might even put a link in after um but the emotional side now is you steve peters calls it a chimp your chimp would run away with that. They'd run away wild with it. You'd lose, you'd lose contact with everything that's happened. It's the, the chimp's now got the fear and he's running wild and you can't stop him and he's going mental and there's no way to control him. The only way you can control him is, Steve Peter calls it the program, the computer. You'd have to program the computer and the computer would have to program the chimp. Now, what I'm saying is it's best, 100% best, to not allow that to happen. To not allow that festering or to allow that fear to manifest itself. So, easier said than done. Especially if you've been injured in your accident and you're led in a hospital bed. Or you're a 100% easier said than done. Um, but you must understand all the fear that you create. All the fear that you have after an incident has been created by you. And you alone. That is it. When it comes to say doing exact, exactly the same thing again. Let's say... I fell off a swing. I go to the park. I swing too high. I fall off backwards. I hit my head. I really hurt myself. Okay. I go back to the swings again. And I'm like, oh man, I've been doing all these swings. Whoa. These swings. I always get hurt on swings. Whoa. 
the moment I go to those swings and I have that that scared feeling, that that's it. I, that, I can't control that. That's happened. That's there. As soon as I've had that scared feeling, once I sit on the swing and swing, the scared feeling can't get any worse. You've had the scared feeling. The chemicals, the amygdala's reacted. The chemical of cortisol's been released in your body. That's it. Unless, unless it exponentially it gets worse, the, you're not going to get scared and scared again, scared again, scared again, scared again. You will automatically go from being okay to being scared. You're not, I'm okay, but I'm scared too. For I just hope I don't get scared 10. No, you're from being okay to being scared. The amygdala is engaged and you're starting to release cortisol. You're okay, you're now scared. As soon as you are scared, this now is what we have to deal with. This, 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 being scared is, being scared is this, okay? That, that's, that's scared. I'm now scared, boom. This is what, this is what I'm scared. This is what we have to deal with. The moment we start fear coming into this and doubt and negativity, now we have to deal with this. So all of this is what happened that we couldn't control. This is what happened and we couldn't control it. This was being scared. Then we start to get doubt, negativity, fear, um, what ifs, all these. And now we're dealing with this. All off the back of that one thing that we couldn't control. As soon as we're scared and we know we're scared, how we then deal with that is exactly that that's fear. Okay, it's always fear. Even with even in addressing it, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any fear. That's important to. I'm not saying you shouldn't address like. Even in addressing it, that's fear. The fact that I felt scared, it's fear that makes me address it. So what I do, instead of, instead of this happening, and then fear comes in, and now I've got worry, and now I've got doubt, oh shit, I should address this. No, this happens. Now fear comes in. Now I'm gonna use this fear to address this. And now all I've had is this fear to address this. Okay, right, I've got this fear, right. My fear was, boom. I'm going to use my fear positively. Okay, I was scared, but I'm not going to get any more scared. I'm now sat on the swing. If I'm sat on the swing and I'm already scared, I might as well start swinging, right? Because if I'm already scared, I might as well just start swinging. So you start to swing on the swing. Okay, oh, my belly rolled over a bit then. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm still scared. I'm still scared here. Yeah, I know you're scared. I recognise that we're scared, but now we're swinging and we're still okay. So a minute ago, we were scared and we weren't swinging. Now we're swinging and we're still okay. We might as well swing for a couple more minutes, aren't we? And we'll still be okay. Okay, let's swing for a few more minutes. Oh, I'm, I'm still scared. I'm still scared. Yeah, you are still scared, but you're still swinging and you're still doing okay. Nothing bad has happened. Okay, so what now if I stop swinging? Okay, let's let's stop swinging then. Let's slow it down. Let's stop swinging. So you slow down. I'm slowing down. Oh, yeah, it's getting better. Yeah. Okay, now, oh, I've stopped. Right, okay, so here's my fear and here's that, that scaredness. Okay, so you're on the, the swing. And are you scared anymore? No, I'm not scared anymore because I swung and I'm okay. Should we swing again? Oh, I'm still a little bit scared of that. Okay, you're scared. Let's swing again then. Let's just swing again. Nice and slow like we did. We start swinging again. Okay, are you still scared? I'm still a little bit scared, yeah. Okay, no problem. Keep swinging because we're scared, but nothing's happening. We're still okay. We're in control. Let's keep swinging. Okay, let's slow down again. Slow down again. Slow down again. And let's stop. Okay, here's fear. I'm still scared. Well, no, my scaredness actually is dissipated a bit. I actually want to swing again now. Okay, so you want to swing again. You're still a little bit scared. This is fear. Yeah, I'm still a little bit scared, but I'm going to swing again because now I want to. So you swing again. You swing again. Okay, it feels good. Actually, I'm going to go a bit faster. I swing again. I, sw I really enjoyed this. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stop. Boom. You stop. Are you scared? I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared. What if we swing again? Yeah, I'll swing again now. 
you're happy to swing again? Yeah, I'm happy to swing again. I want to. And you see, I'm not scared anymore. The fear never escalated. It never became worry. Never became woe, dread. Didn't become any of those things. It was just fear for a second. And I managed it immediately. As soon as I knew, I'm scared. Okay, here's fear. Let's combat that. Boom. And I used it. I am. That was an example of immersion and cognitive at the same time. And I used it to address the initial thing that scared me. And then to address the fear that came immediately. Because the fear came. It did come. And I used it. to That fear. I addressed the fear immediately. And I used that fear to positively address why I was scared. And then I managed to alleviate it. Now, that's a very basic scenario. And it comes with... Uh, it comes with... Um, that, that's a very basic scenario that comes with very small or minor repercussions. So if you have a massive accident... You have to address it exactly the same, exactly the same way, but it might be a time period this longer. You might have to address it with cognitive uh, therapy first and then over to immersion therapy, but it's exactly the same. You address the scenario exactly the same way for however amount of time. And what you do is you recognize every negative aspect, every negative bit that comes into it. Like, oh, but if I do ride again and if I do, but you might not. If you ride your motorbike again, you might not crash your motorbike. You've only ever crashed it once. So what we're going to do is we're going to say we crashed it because we did this. We manage that and we think, do we want to ride a motorbike? Yes, I love riding my motorbike. Okay. Can we ride a motorbike safely? Yes, I have X amount of years proven I can ride a, ride a motorbike safely. Are there factors I can't control? Yes, 100%. Was that any different before I had my accident? No, it was exactly the same. Okay, right. So now we manage in all the psychological aspects as best we can and now we're going to find the positivity and manage the fear with that now the reason i make that sound so easy is for this reason all fear is illogical there's no logical fear okay it's not the, the, the fear is not logical there's no logical fear fear like people say oh no there is logical fear no all fear is illogical because we made it up that's why it's illogical. It's something we've created. It's fictional. All fear is fictional. All fear is a bear. We're feeding it or we're not feeding it and we're getting rid of it. So that's why all fear is illogical. And we can combat all fear with rational thinking, cognitive therapy if need be, and immersion therapy a lot of the time works. So it's very simple to understand that no matter how big your issue or how small your issue, they can all be combated exactly the same way. And that comes with, from the smallest incident to the biggest incident, it comes with the way that you address these things and recognising, really, really recognising that you, you are the problem. You have created the fear, okay? It will come back if you allow it. It will come back as time goes on. The longer you avoid the, the scenario that scares you, the, the more chance you have of fear creeping back in. The more you address the scenario, the less chance you have a fear creeping back in. And when fear does creep back in, if you've avoided it for a long period of time, the less you will be in a position to deal with it. So recognizing it and uh, continually being in a situation where fear is an aspect of your life, you're more likely to be able to handle it. You're more likely to be able to deal with it. Um, I don't expect everyone to go out tomorrow and have no fears. I certainly didn't. I certainly still don't. I, I, there are situations where 
sometimes the the scaredness lasts a lot longer than I would like. I never really allow fear to get the better of me now. I do get aspects where I get scared of something and then I'm scared of it and the next minute I find myself 10 minutes later still scared of that thing. I'm going to give you a scenario. I was paragliding in um, the X Pier and I haven't, hadn't done a lot of mountain flying. I'd done, uh, I think I'd done two weeks mountain flying ever and I entered into this mountain flying race and I was quite high trying to pass a valley and a gorge and I was looking at the sky, the sky looked good, but the wind had changed direction, and I thought, I don't know what's over that valley, or should I go for it, if I go for it, and there's no landing spots, and what if this? so I carry on climbing, I push out front, I climb a little bit, and I was like, oh, but what if I this, and oh, should I do it, shan't I do it, should I, oh, I don't know, if I end up in the bottom of the valley, and I got a hike up, if I'd have been in flatland flying, I'd have gone for it immediately, because I know flatland flying, I do it all the time, I wasn't, it wasn't fear, that had crept in and I'd stopped like I was oh if I go over there I'm really gonna hurt it was not none of those things it was unknown so I was scared me initially I was scared oh what if there's what if there's nowhere to land oh god I better not go over there oh what if there is somewhere to land though you could actually you could do quite well in the race if you landed over there yeah but are you sure it's and that negativity that doubt that lack of that lack of um, experience in that area just allowed enough time for me to sit in that scared zone that I doubted myself and I landed on top of the mountain I was on. And that all came from I'd not been in the scenario enough so I, I was scared for longer than I would have liked to have been. If I'd have been scared on a flatland flight in that situation, I'd have been like, oh, so I got like, yeah, don't be stupid. You go there. If not, you'll always find someone to land. You know how to fly your paraglider. You go there, you find... And I'd have reacted immediately. But because that's, that scared moment lasted a lot longer than a split second, suddenly the doubt, the negativity, that they're all aspects of fear, that popped in. What if? What if? What if? And I allowed that to control what I did and I landed. Okay, I landed safely. I wasn't hurt. So is it a bad thing? It's not a bad thing that I'm not hurt and I'm okay. It's a bad thing from a psychological aspect in that I didn't address it properly or I didn't manage the initial scenario appropriately and combat what then became fear. I hope that makes sense. Um, so this is like an hour and 30 minutes now. So I'm thinking that maybe um, you guys are probably fed up of hearing me talk. Um, but if anybody wants to ask any questions, I'm happy to spend 10 minutes or so answering questions. Now, if anyone wants to write some questions or if anyone's got any questions they want to pop up with, pop up now on Facebook um, or pop up now on YouTube. Um, also, if you did, if you feel like this has helped or you feel like it can help, there's so much more that, that I would like to talk about on this subject. Um, but it is 10 past nine and we're in a scenario where, you know, we're trapped in the house. We can't get away. So I'm sure there's lots of things you would like to be doing as well, chilling out, etc. So, yeah, I'm going to probably think about cutting this short. I'll give you a couple of references of um, things that I've read over time. Uh, read them. Uh, read them, read them again, read them four times. Keep reading this sort of thing. Um, a good author on psychocybernetics, neurolinguistic programming, that sort of thing, is Maxwell Maltz. That's how I started. I read a book called, the, I think it's called The Complete Psychocybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. He's very good. I really like Maxwell Maltz's work. There's a guy called Steve Peters, Chimp Paradox. He's very famous now. And um, although I find that his Chimp Paradox is a bit of a gimmick, um, but that's because I'm someone who's read a lot of psychology books so I can process what he's saying. Even someone who hasn't read a lot of psychology books and um, 
isn't maybe is inept or in tune with uh, psychology, you might read it for people. This is a bit intense. It can be, even though it's a bit of a gimmick, the chimp aspect of it. Very good book. I highly recommend everyone reads it. It is hard reading, though. It is quite intense reading. So, um, yeah, I do recommend you read that. My, um, Steve Peters, The Chimp Paradox. He has other books, but that's the go-to. Read that one first. Um, there's some great work by James Aframau, uh, really good sports psychology books. Gavin De Becker, superb. Susan Jeffers, really good author. Um, all these people have written really good books. Um, I will try and post a link up on my Facebook status later on. If you haven't followed this on Facebook, give me a message or a text, and I'll try and get them over to you. Stuff that I, uh, stuff that I've done, and yeah, I'll try and make sure that you've got access to them. Also on YouTube, type these guys' names into YouTube. Lots of them have done TED talks and stuff. So if you're not fed up of hearing a person talk about psychology and fear type that into youtube and listen to someone else rattle on about psychology and fear people are a lot more qualified than me as well that might prove interesting um my closing my closing message here um uh yeah so ron has said if i watch this through later and think of a question will you answer if i send it i will answer all of you you can send it to me directly or you can put it on my Facebook wall or however you want. If you want to contact me and ask me a question, please do. If you see me in person, please stop me and talk to me. And also, if a couple of you have questions and you want me to do a video on a specific scenario, then, then message me and I'll happily do a video for you on that specific scenario. So, yep, I'll answer anyone's questions if I have them or refer you to, to books or publications or videos that I think may help you. Um, now... What's very important in closing before I log off is that I would like to say that uh, fear and the aspects of fear, um, they have what's known as a generalized threat response. Now, in a generalized threat response, it works like this. If I allow fear to act in one way, in one scenario, i.e., I get scared of a paragliding incident or I get scared of a motorcycle accident, the chances are I'm going to allow that fear response to act in every other aspect of my life. It's called a generalized fear response, okay? So what we must start doing is addressing our fear responses really in every aspect of our life and not just when we wait for something to happen or something to scare us. And this is why... This coronavirus thing has allowed some people to be like, oh, we're doomed. If we get this, we're all going to die. It's because they have a generalized fear response that they don't listen to the actual evidence and they don't analyze the actual things that are said. And they allow their ingrained fear response to overtake and they, they, they use that response in every aspect of their life. So please try and... Um, use these use these attributes from today from now any questions think of the bear as well i really like the bear scenario think of the bear don't feed your bear okay keep the meat in the fridge for yourself there's food shortages remember everyone's everyone's like panic buying so keep the meat for yourself don't feed the bear um yeah generalized fear responses please start addressing them immediately and don't wait for a scary incident to happen to then try and address your fear response because then you're going to allow any negative that happens will be taken into any other aspect of your life so remember that generalized fear response don't feed your bear thank you very much for a asking for me to do this be tuning in and listening and if you want to share it please share it 
and any questions if you want me to do another one similarly i'll be more than happy thank you very much everybody